You already know that Illegal Pete's makes delicious, mission-style Mexican food. But did you know that Illegal Pete's uses its marketing funds to support Colorado creative talent that we love? We support the Denver Diatribe Podcast, the Grolix Comedy Showcase, Rocky Mountain Roller Girls, the Yellow Designs BMX Stunt Team, Apex Movement Parkour Team, the Underground Music Showcase, and more. We even have our own record label, The Greater Than Collective, with albums by The Epilogues, Snake Rattle Rattlesnake, Esme Patterson, Ian Cook, and comedian Ben Roy, and a starving artist program that feeds out-of-town bands traveling in Colorado for free. Illegal Pete's. We're more than just a restaurant. So, let us put our food and music and comedy and sports inside you. Please. Please. Denver, Denver, I'm from Denver, 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 I'm from Hello, and welcome to the Denver Diet Guide, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most locked and loaded city between Deadwood and the Golden Corral. <laughs> I'm Joel Warner. Joining today in the Daniel and Fisher's Clock Tower are co-hosts Vanessa Martinez. Good morning. In the, in the lovely new eyewear. And Ron Doyle. Uh, uh, good, good morning. Uh, Ron just uh, uh, rocking the beard still, which is nice. <laughs> also joining us this morning is special guest Dan Baum, author of the new book, Gun Guys. Uh, today we're going to build on the discussion we started a few weeks ago when Colorado Statesman reporter Peter Marcus came on to discuss the big uh, gun control bills that have been moving through the Colorado legislature. Since that point three weeks ago, there's been a few shakeups with those bills. Uh, uh, the ban on concealed carry guns on college campuses and the measure that would have made those who made and sold assault weapons liable for violence caused by those guns. Both of those were killed by their Democratic sponsors, uh, apparently in part because they figured there weren't enough votes uh, to pass those two bills, but also because at least with uh, the college campus ban, some legislatures, some Democrats made some uh, at least questionable comments about women and sexual assault in some of the hearings, and the Republicans jumped all over it. Now, five bills that, were, uh, that we discussed uh, are still moving forward. There is a statewide ban on high-capacity magazines. There is a rule to prevent domestic violence offenders from carrying firearms, a requirement for in-person training for all concealed carry permits in the state, uh, a regulation that would require a background check for even private gun sale bills, or in other words, uh, to, quote, uh, to close the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the quote-unquote uh, universal background check loophole, and a $10 to $12 fee for all such background checks. The last of those, the fee, uh, is basically now, it's been passed by both the House and the Senate. It's moving on to Governor, uh, Governor John Hickenlooper, and he's expected to sign it into law soon. I don't want to get into these bills in much detail. They did a great, uh, we did a great job a few weeks ago uh, really discussing what they were and what they meant, but I wanted to just hear if Vanessa, Ron, and especially Dan, if you guys have any thoughts about any new thoughts about these bills or where they are, and also some of the attention and controversy that's been kind of brewing around these, both both here in Colorado and uh, you know, and around the country? Uh, I guess I'll start. I, I, where is the domestic violence bill again? I'm sorry. Uh, that has, I mean, so other than uh, the, the $10 fee, which is which has passed both houses. The other ones have passed one, so that's either been passed by the House and moving on to the Senate, or it's been passed by the Senate and move on to the House. Like, it's kind of two and two. Okay, so it's And not I'm too really... stupid to figure out which is which. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have time for that. Well, I guess I, I, I'm trying to figure out what these bills, which one, um, are they all, uh, why are they moving as a package? They're not tied to, I mean, it's just because they're on the same topic, not because they mm. are actually, because they've been, They've been portrayed in the media as a gun bill package. Yeah, whenever whenever the national media, especially, is talking about this, they 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 see Colorado gun legislation as this one giant beast lumbering over the hill, and and it's not like that. It's a bunch of smaller bills that've been proposed by different people, different groups uh, that are coming up together as a team. But uh, some of them are not going to pass. I don't I don't think all of them are going to go through. Yeah, I mean, I'm, as we now see, I'm, I mean, two of them. Uh, at least one of which was the most was probably the most controversial. Have been killed. I think the right. most controversial one was the one about the possibility of holding uh, the, uh, the manufacturers and sellers of assault rifles liable. That for bill violence. deserved to die. That was a bad bill. Yeah. Why do you think it was bad, Dan? Holding cigarette man- 
manufacturers liable. You can make the argument they lied in their ads, they manipulated the nicotine to make cigarettes more addictive, they knew how bad cigarettes were, and they lied to the public about it. Everybody knows what guns do. And, and it's also not like a, a standard product liability suit in which the product is faulty and hurts somebody. These guns work precisely as they're supposed to, and it is up to the person who's using them who gets killed, if anybody. So to hold the manufacturers liable was just, to me, the worst kind of grandstanding to the, to the, to the bleachers. Now, what I'm, about glad those it, I'm glad who, it disappeared. Now, what about those who sell? Do they have do they have more liability in terms of who they sell the gun to? Well, you know the way it works now in gun stores is um, you run a background check, but gun store owners are encouraged by the National Shooting Sports Foundation, the industry group, to use their own judgment. And I actually have a scene in the book where I'm in a gun store and a guy comes in who passes the background check, but I wonder would I have sold that guy a gun? Um, he was odd. He was an odd. He was an odd duck. On the other hand, odd ducks have constitutional rights. Yeah. So sure. it's a, it's a it's a tough thing. I'm yeah, not where sure. Where do you draw that line? I mean, I don't. I th- I don't think you can hold um, un- unless you can demonstrate that the gun store owner knew that this guy was beating up his wife, for example, but hadn't. But that hadn't gotten into the legal system. Unless you can demonstrate that the gun store owner knew this person was a bad guy. I don't think you can hold them liable. So the domestic violence rule saying that domestic the domestic violence rule says if you have a restraining order on you, you can't carry a gun. Yeah, uh, that's great. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it seems like a no-brainer. I'm not sure how we didn't have that in in place to begin with. I mean, some states do, well, and some states don't, right? In the federal background check, if you have a restraining order on you for domestic violence, you can't even buy a gun. So the Colorado is just saying you can't get a concealed carry permit. I guess for the gun you already have, um, if you have a if you have a domestic violence rep on yeah. your record. Um, you know, the thing about the universal background checks, this is a tricky one because in my experience, except the really extreme gun guys, gun guys are fine with background checks. I mean, I haven't really met anybody who objects to going in a gun store and doing the background check, uh, except the really the most hardline second amendment shall not be infringed types. Uh, and they, that's kind of the NRA wing. And you all got to remember the NRA only has 4 million members in a country with a hundred million gun owners. So there's a lot of gun owners in the United States who are not represented by the NRA. And I'm hearing from them since my book came out. Um, it's kind of interesting, but, um, the problem with the universal background check law as Colorado is writing it. And as the feds are thinking of writing, it is nobody's going to obey it. If I want to sell you a gun, Right now, under the law, I can sell you a gun. You come to my house, you give me cash, you take the gun. The universal background check is a good idea, and gun guys would support it. What they're not going to support or obey is having to drive to a gun store to do the background check. Drive to the gun store, pay a fee. You might have to wait several hours for your background check to come back. So people are just going to ignore it. And I think there is a cost a social cost to passing laws that large number of people don't obey. I think it's corrosive to the respect for the rule of law. So my idea is put the universal background checks, put the computerized background checks on the Internet where everybody can get it. Then if you come to my house and you want to buy a gun from me, we sit down at my computer, you punch in your social security number, so it's secret, and up comes your record. And if it's clean, I should be required to print that out on a piece of paper and put it in a filing cabinet and hold it for 10 years. That's what gun stores do, by the way. The way the law reads, when these computerized background checks are done, the electronic record is immediately destroyed. That's because registration is illegal under federal law. Gun registration is illegal, and that's a good thing. We don't want the police having lists of people with guns. And that's a red line for gun guys. They are not going to stand for registration. But the gun store is required to keep on file a paper record of the sale for 10 years so that if the gun shows up at a crime, the ATF can trace the serial number to the manufacturer. The manufacturer can say that went to um, Big Five Sporting Goods in Colorado Springs. They can go there. They can look in the filing cabinet, and they can find out who originally bought the gun. Now, this is really not very useful most of the time to police because people rarely commit crimes I mean, bad guys rarely commit crimes with guns that they buy in gun stores. Sure. They steal them, or, right? And we can talk about that. But what, what has happened now is the gun guys have decided 
on the national level and on the state level that universal background checks equals registration. And it's a lie. It's not true. There is a way to do this where the law would be followed just as it is now, where there is no electronic database, but the seller keeps a paper record. That way, 10 years from now or five years from now, the gun I sold you shows up at a crime. The police eventually get to me, and I can say, look, when I sold Joel that gun, he was clean. The g- yeah, Joel. The sale was legal. He went bad later. Exactly. Or, you know, or, I'm or I'm not bad right now. Or the gun. Well, if you, were ba- <laughs> if, if you were bad in a way that shut up in the background check, I wouldn't be able to sell yeah. you the gun. So, you know, there's that economist that worked for Obama named Austin Goolsby. And Goul- I'm a kind of a Goolsbyite. Goolsby says, if you want... If you want to encourage behavior, you make that behavior the easiest behavior to follow. You reward that. You make it easy to follow. You reward people for doing it. I think people would like to feel comfortable when they're selling a gun that they're not selling it to somebody with a criminal record. Would the lobbyists support that? Do you, do you think the NRA would say yes? You know, yes, I was just in D.C. talking to some high Democratic operatives um, and – there are Republican senators who don't understand how the gun laws work now. And so they're saying universal background checks are, is registration. They just don't understand it. And this is a big problem with the way laws are made. People really don't understand reality, and they don't understand. It, they, they play to the bleachers, and um, it's too bad. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of things we could be doing to make ourselves safer and we're not doing those things because instead we're doing all this political nonsense to score points, and it breaks my heart. Well, I mean, t- talking about the political nonsense, I just want to talk about this for a few minutes more and then move on to some of the bigger picture discussions about gun culture. But um, with some of these bills, there's been some pretty heated, not just debate, but some threats that have been going back and forth. Uh, we were speaking a bit earlier about it's uh, – a legislator from from Pueblo, is that correct, Vanessa? Yeah, State Senator Angela Hidon. And she's a Democrat? She's a Democrat. Um, she was a, a state house representative last year. This is the first uh, this is her first term as a senator. But she's been getting uh, attacked and harassed in all kinds of ways. Uh, the, the the Pueblo chieftain her hometown paper has uh, been running a lot of, of stories about her on the front page. You know, repeatedly there have been uh, you know, they they single her out as we were talking about this earlier, as if she is the lone person who can control what's going on in the legislature. wait a minute. I want to know something. They're running ads about her in the newspaper, and people are showing up at her home with signs or picketing her home. It's pro- yeah, it's protesting. I mean, has anybody threatened her life? I, Have, that has a crime been committed? Because no. politics ain't beanbag. You want to be a state legislator, the newspapers are going to write things about you, and if people want to show up at your home, you work for them. If they want to picket your home... I mean, let's not be yeah, pussies about this. No, sure, let's sure, not sure, be sure. pussies. Yeah, let's no. not confuse threats with a, a, a vocal, impassioned yeah. public wanting to make its voice heard. Now, sure, sure, yeah, sure. No, there has yeah, been a see, threat, though. Issue, That's a different yeah. state legislator. So my, so my only issue with this, yeah, I mean, newspapers can write whatever they want, and they do write whatever they want. My only point about this is that apparently, I'm saying apparently, I don't think anyone's actually seen this email or hasn't gone public yet, the the head editor of the Pueblo Chieftain apparently sent an email to, to um, what's her name again? Uh, Angela. Senator Hedron. Yep. Basically saying, I control what goes on the front page of this newspaper. I control how it's said, and I don't like these bills. And, I mean, that to me is like, yes. I mean, yes, this is what editors do. It seems mighty sloppy to show your right. card he, as an he, editor. I mean, was, if he, like did that, if he did that, he's an idiot. But that's not... I'm not hearing anything so far that tells me anything is scary, threatening, or illegitimate. Yeah, well, I, just I think, think it shows. I just think I mean, it's just dumb. I think it just shows how passionate people are about this. Now there have been some threats. Now there have just been email threats to a different legislator, uh, a woman. I think uh, Rhonda Fields. Yeah, Rhonda Fields yes. uh, from Aurora, whose son was killed because he was going to testify in a murder case. And I guess at least I think he was. I think he was. I think he was a vet. I think basically wrote these kind of a series of emails, uh, kind of full of you know caps locks and racial epithets, and saying, okay. "I'm going to Giffords." Right. Your somebody. Ass. Somebody ought to Giffords your ass. Yeah. yeah. Now right. that's now right. That's, that's a threat. threat. And that's, I mean, that's a threat. taken care of. I mean, that's I mean, it's threat. not saying that that these things don't happen 
and then we can stop them. It's just showing that how passionate people are about, you know, as you said, some of these bills, honestly, they're just small steps. They're not, they're not saying. I was at the gun rights. I was at the gun rights rally here on the Capitol steps a few weeks ago. And I don't know, about 300 people there, maybe more, but actually by the end, there may have been a few more, but it it wasn't huge, but significant. And, but I heard there and I'm hearing, I read a lot of gun blogs since, you know, um, there are a lot of people who seem to be convinced that there will be violence over this, that what's going to happen is the cops are going to show up at some guy's house, maybe beat up his wife to take away his AR-15, and he's going to kill a cop, and then they're going to kill him. And there'll be a little kind of Waco Ruby Ridge event that will rally people. Um, this kind of segues into the culture thing. We are talking about a, pu- a, a, the, a public the gun, the bulge of the gun guy demographic, by no means not, not not all gun guys. But if you look at the the industry statistics, who buys guns, who owns guns, who shoots guns, it's middle aged white men who have not finished college, and that is a de- demographic that has been particularly screwed in this country. These guys are hurting, and they've been hurting for a long time. They've been hurting economically. They've been hurting culturally. Um, they just feel like their world has disappeared on them, has, has changed on them. Their, and their, in many their cases... Their dominance in American culture. Their dominance culture, in American their, culture their is over. Their preeminence in American right. culture it is Right. It used ending. to be all our cultural heroes were straight white men, and now the least cool thing in America to be is a straight white man. Plus, this is the group that hasn't had a wage increase since 1978. I mean, these guys... I, I drove around the country, and these guys are so angry. And we don't talk about class in this country. It's forbidden speech. To describe your situation in terms of class is seen in this country as making excuses for your own sorry ass. You know, pull yourself up, right? So they don't have a vocabulary for what's happened to them. They don't have an analysis except the NRA's analysis, which is you're pissed because the liberals want to take your guns. And for gun guys, hell, even for me, and I'm a college-educated, urban, liberal, Jewish Democrat, right? There is a lot of pride inherent in owning a gun. There's a lot of self-esteem. Not that you can kill somebody. It's really the opposite. It's that you can live alongside these really dangerous things, manage them effectively, teach people how to use them, perhaps even carry one, and nobody around you gets hurt. That you are kind of a special American because you are managing this thing and you, you feel like you are making the country safer because you have guns. And if something bad happens, you can respond. Whether you believe that, whether you agree with that or not, I'm not asking you to make a value judgment. I'm just telling you a lot of people feel that way. So these, a lot of these gun laws, particularly the confiscatory ones or the ones that limit the size of magazines, you know, you want to limit the size of a magazine a guy can, can buy, right? Now, to you guys, maybe 15 rounds, 30 rounds, what's the difference? The point is, what you're telling these guys is, I don't trust you. I don't trust you with a 30-round magazine. It's, so these guys who are already rubbed raw, it just hits them right where they hurt. You're going right to the thing, the one thing that they have that makes them feel good about themselves. And you're saying, no, 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 no. You're really not as cool as you think you are. I don't think you can be trusted with a 30-round magazine. The whole magazine size thing is so s- stupid on so many levels that we think we can make society safer that a 15-round magazine is going to make us safer than a 30-round magazine is on its face, whack. And so the gun guys say, why? Obviously. Why, why, why? Why? Obviously. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's the difference between shooting 15 people and 30 people. Why do you think it's It's whack? not the difference between 15 people. Yeah, can people. you explain? Because I think that's how a lot of us You can it. reload an AR-15 in one second. So you can drop the ma- a 15-round magazine out of an AR-15 and put in a new one in one second. So the gun guys, who know that, because they know guns, they say, you want to limit my freedom to buy what I want to buy so that you can get this little, so that, so that you can really do nothing for public safety. There, you must have some other agenda. You must really want to mess with me. That must be what you really are about, is so in other words, diminishing saying, me as a man and a citizen. I'm not asking you to buy it. Yeah, I'm telling yeah. you what, how it looks from their point yeah. of view. Um, you know, and the, and the thing about the magazines, you know, do you know about Magpul? Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay, I mean, they, you know, Hickenlooper signs this. He could drive a 
This, you know, this a, is, this a company, is the company with 200 employees out of the state. This is the company here in Colorado we talked about before that is threatening to leave the state. It, uh, their manufacturing of, of these high-capacity Well, they call them standard-capacity magazines. Yes. So be it. Uh, the, the, and here's the, another thing the about capacity the clips that are – They, they, they go Starbucks they route, like to, Grande. <laughs> yeah, yes. Venti. This is a venti. I, I just do the venti. Yeah, what? What? No, they, they're saying, they're saying they, they are threatening to leave the state if right. this, this uh, capacity issue passes because – they're saying what you we would not be welcome here anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. They wouldn't be able to sell their products. Um, the you know the, the other thing about the the, the the magazine capacity thing to put it in terms that maybe you guys will understand better is it would be as though somebody wants to say your iPhone can't have Wi-Fi, right? It's like the AR-15 is the highest tech gun you can get, and it works best with a 30-round magazine. That's how it was designed to be used. So you want to diminish the capability of that. So they, the gun guys say, you just want to di- diminish the capability of a consumer product. Why would you want to do that? Of, a, co- just- of a consumer product that is designed for killing. Of a consumer well, product right. Isn't that the has AR-15 a single purpose of killing. Actually the- now, why the- on earth would you say it has the single purpose of what, killing? What, uh, what other purpose does it have, Dan? What other, what other purpose? Do you do hang you out with gun guys? You ever been to a yes, rifle I range? I, I used to have a re- – my father was a sheriff's deputy. I used to reload bullets in the garage for my dad because he was a competitive shooter. Well, it com- had- competitive shooting. Yes. So competitive so shooting, the, the two hunting, purpose, the two or, just, are- or just – Nobody hunts with an AR-15. Of course they do. No, they really? don't. Okay, I, do I want to talk. Hold on. Wrong. Okay, I want to talk about AR-15 because there's You're a, totally wrong. Okay, about I want to talk more about AR-15 because you, you actually have a fascinating chapter, basically devoted to the AR-15. That I want to talk about in yeah. the book because I think it's a really fascinating concepts you bring up there. But first, I just want to say we're going to keep following these bills. It's clearly very much on the forefront, both here in Colorado and the country. So you know, we'll keep uh, checking in on these every week. If you guys have, uh, if you guys have thoughts out there on any of this legislation or anything else, you just want to yell at us or you know threaten us, that's fine. Um, <laughs> please leave a comment on diatribe.com, like us on Facebook, or drop us a line on 72282. Yell. Yeah, we have a new comment system on the website, so you can actually post pictures of you holding your AR-15 yes. and pointing it at it. You know, you're really wrong about <laughs> nobody hunts with them. You can che- the thing that's so miraculous about an AR-15, from the gun guy perspective, is that you can change the caliber. So, yeah, right. so people are hunting with AR-15s. In fact, my wife, who hunts with a 30-30, lever-action 30-30 Winchester, doesn't particularly like guns, but we hunt together. She was actually thinking of getting an AR-15 because there's no recoil because there's a spring right. in the, there's in no, the bu- a, So Okay, for, that's for, those the, of me, uh, for those of us like me who's never seen a gun other than on television or video games. Actually, wow. Right. No, I can't say that for sure. But really, explain what the heck an AR-15 is and why, why this particular firearm is so key. Right. The AR-15 is the civilian version of the M-16. So it looks like an M-16 which is really the problem in propaganda terms. Um, it is semi-automatic, which means it fires one bullet every time you f- pull the trigger. You can keep squeezing, going again and again and again and again and again. You don't have to click or pull anything. Right. You don't have to cock anything. Which is true of many, many, many guns. I mean, I can show you A lot beautiful. Of I can show you beautiful wooden hunting rifles, wooden stock hunting rifles that you would say, oh, that's a good person's gun that functionally ex- identical to the AR-15. So the AR-15, the whole thing about AR-15s and assault rifles is really cosmetic. They're black and scary looking. What makes them so popular is they're very accurate. In their original caliber and configuration, there's very little recoil. Uh, ammunition is relatively cheap because it's the same ammunition the Army uses, so there's a lot of it. Uh, there's a big spring in the butt, which is the part that you put against your shoulder so that when you fire it, that spring absorbs a lot of the recoil, so it's very pleasant to shoot. And it's modular, so it snaps apart. With no tools, you can take this thing apart into about 10 different pieces, and you can swap new parts in, which makes it endlessly profitable because gun guys are constantly hearing about, ooh, there's a new grip, there's a new buttstock, there's a new sight, there's a new barrel. And you can even change, as we were just saying, the caliber. So... You're going to go target shooting with, with the 22 version of it. Then you just click, click, click. In five minutes, you've changed it to a deer rifle. Five minutes, you've changed it to a shotgun. 
Five wow. So, so, so can you change the barrel? Can you change the barrel length as well? Because that's that's yeah. really yeah, okay. Yeah. So you, the, see, this you, is something I didn't know. That's the reason why ah, I was saying no. You didn't this know. Is, this is the so reason you're why spouting I, off, and yeah, you didn't right. know. I get it. Welcome, <laughs> to, this is, welcome to Denver Diet. <laughs> this is what, <laughs> this is what yeah. we do. That's what I. Yeah. No, well, no, and this is what the legislature does, and this is what a lot a lot of what happens in the gun debate. And what I'm telling you is that the gun guys who know guns. They hear this and they say, can they really not know that? They, it, it can't be that they don't know that. So they must know it and they must be wanting to do this, not because they're after the gun. They're after me. And that is why this issue is so volatile. Yeah, and, and Gun like guys see it, it I mean, as an attack a, on them. It's funny because so many of the major debates going on these days, whether it's abortion or whatnot, the, the people – who are at the forefront of making these debates, you know, the white male legislators who are discussing this, it's not a personal thing. Right. You know, and, that, and I think you'll bring up a really interesting and volatile point about this whole thing. And I, so I want to go back to you and your personal kind of purchase in this. I mean, you, you wrote this book from a first-person perspective, which I think is pretty unique from the books you've written in the past about I've Katrina, never written first-person. And you wrote about uh, the Coors family. So why did you decide in this particular book – to write from, from your personal perspective and explain what that is. As I said, I'm a liberal Jewish Democrat from New Jersey, and I'm a gun guy, lifelong of both. So I've always been divided between these two hostile tribes. And I kind of wanted to know what is it about guns that moves us so deeply. But also, I, st I started thinking about this book right after President Obama was elected the first time, and the gun guys were going crazy buying guns because they thought he was going to take away their guns. And it seemed like the NRA was making all kinds of assumptions about gun people. And the left was making all kinds of assumptions about gun people. But nobody was talking to gun people. It seemed like there was all this conversation about them and making assumptions about them and people speaking for them. But nobody was talking to them. So I thought, well, this is easy. I'll get in my car and I'll just drive around the country and talk to every gun guy I find. And it was a hoot. It was a gas. It really was. I mean... I met, you know, the Second Amendment types and sports shooters and hunters and concealed carry types. And, you know, I went to the NRA and I went to the anti-NRA, the Brady Center. And um, it was – there were some real surprises in there for me. And um, it changed me. And so this this might seem like a really dumb, vague question. But one thing I, just, I, was, I was thinking last night is, like, why are we like this in this country with guns? You know, I mean – is there any Probably other country? because we can be. I was trying to explain this to these Dems the other day. The American system of government places a lot of trust in the people. And we all understand that because we're all in journalism. So we're all hip to this when it comes to the First Amendment. We have an extraordinary amount of freedom in this country to know stuff and print and write and ask questions and put stuff on television. And that's an expression of trust that this system puts in the people. The system is saying, go ahead. We trust you. Say, what, say whatever you want. As, as Secretary, uh, Secretary of State John Kerry says, said in France, we, we have the right in America to be idiots. Right. Mm -hmm. And we also have the right to own firearms, and we always have. Very free and easy access to firearms. And that, to me, is an expression of trust that this system of government places in the people. And... and we're allowed to own this incredibly dangerous stuff. And, and the gun guys I met, even the, even the uneducated ones, could be very articulate about how they really feel like bit players in American history because they're owning a gun. They don't really think they're going to have to overthrow the government. You hear a lot about that. You know, we're the best bulwark against tyranny. I, I think it's subtler than that. I really feel like they feel like they represent this unique trust that America places in the people, and they cherish that. And quite frankly, I think we should cherish that. We on the left should cherish that. Um, it's, you know, it's complicated, it's complicated stuff. And here's my question about this, and, you know, and even if it's not this way, it doesn't mean I don't, I don't embrace the kind of this kind of trust relationship that has developed. Was that, was that the original idea behind the Second Amendment? 
or was it simpler? Or Nobody was it just because there's because yeah, yeah I mean, there's a big debate about that. Knows. What yeah. was what was the true intention yeah. of this? I argue in the book. Was it this basically like how was it intended? Was it intended for militia? I actually argue in the book that we should just stop talking about the Second Amendment because without a time machine, there's really no way of knowing what James Madison was thinking. And there's all these scholars on one side who said no, he meant this, and all these scholars on the other. And now Scalia has weighed in. It's the law of the land that the Second Amendment confers an individual right to own a gun. Until then, most scholars thought it was a militia right, a collective right to own firearms. I never really understood how you can have a collective right without an individual right, because how can the collective own guns if individuals don't own guns? But anyway, Scalia settled that, at least for now. It's an individual right. But I think I'm even arguing to the gun guys who are so into the Second Amendment, it's a loser of an argument. Because you can, you can argue all day long, I have a Second Amendment right. What part of infringed must not be infringed? Do you not understand? But, you know, the left, the other side just says, no, you don't have a Second Amendment right. I mean, you just can't convince anybody of your position on the Second Amendment. So I think it's a loser. So I think time. both sides should drop it, yeah. especially the gun guys. Because it's, the issue is not what does James Madison want. The issue is what do we want? Well, how do we want to live in a country with 300 million firearms? That's, to me, the central question. So all this talk about banning future guns and adjusting how many rounds can be in a magazine, it's crap because we have 300 million guns in this country. And they're a durable good that lasts forever. And they last forever. Years. The gun I hunt with was made in 1900. Do they still, though, or are they also suffering from the same kind of, you know... Poor manufacturing? Yeah, kind of. Uh, no, they last forever. They so, last forever. And, and, and gun guys would say this over and over. They said, what else can I buy for $400 that my grandchildren will be using? Nothing. Yeah, right, exactly. If, if you take a look at the, my father's will, <laughs> yeah, the bulk of, of my guns. father's will is a list of guns that I will, my brother and I will be The rifle that I hunt guns. with was made that for is... the Spanish-American War in 1900, wow. and it works exactly as well now as it does then. It's awesome. Is that what you're carrying now? No, the rifle with which I hunt. Okay, so you don't have it strapped right now in concealed carry. Now, I want to talk about concealed carry for a bit, let's too. Let's talk about concealed carry. I mean, so before you went off around the country with your concealed carry firearm, you, you did some experiments in Boulder. And one thing I didn't really realize that I hadn't thought about it is just how actually, you know, how in some ways um, non-concealed carry, which is... What's the term for non-concealed? Open carry. Yeah, open, open carry. Open there we carry. go. I can't even. I can't come up with terminology. Which is completely open legal carry, in yeah. Colorado. Open carry. Not in Denver. Okay. But right. open carry in, some, okay. in many places is just, you know, is yep. in most states it's much legal. easier than. Yeah, you feel like a dick. Yeah. So you tried this I in tried Boulder. It. I tried it. I did not like it. So you went, so you went, to, <laughs> so you went to Whole Foods and you went to Target. I went to Whole Foods in Boulder wearing a pistol on my hip the size of a trumpet. And <laughs> nobody even saw it. It was bizarre. I mean, I was watching people. I was watching their eyes. Nobody reacted at all. I went to Target. I went to Whole Foods. I went to Home Depot. I went to the Apple Store. I stood in the Apple Store for a half hour playing with the iPad <laughs> with this enormous <laughs> gun did on you, my head. Nobody tried poking at the iPad with a gun? <laughs> I didn't take it out. Nobody reacted to the gun until I went to a Mexican store. And then uh-huh. everybody in the Mexican store wanted to know, por qué la pistola? Yeah. You know, and everybody saw it. And everybody reacted to it. But... In Boulder, I think their eyes saw it, and their brain just discounted it. Said, oh, that can't be a gun. But they yeah, because they, they, they looked and said, oh, he must be a, a, or a, a cop, detective. Some he kind of cop. cop. Although it didn't really look like a detective's gun. It looks like it's a World War I revolver. I mean, it's, it's gigantic. <laughs> um, it's a huge thing. So I don't know what they thought. And but I don't look like, like a cop. I look, I look like a scrawny little like, Jewish guy. With a and they were like, gun. holy shit, the white guy's carrying a giant gun in here. What's going on? But, you know, but I was watching people, and nobody... Nobody's, nobody was, like, grabbing their child's hand and pulling them away. <laughs> Nobody was, like, leaving the aisle that I was in. I was very ostentatious about it. They just didn't react. It was bizarre. I don't know why. But, but whenever you – so the, the Mexican grocery store, wherever you went, the, the Mexican store that, that you're talking about, can, you, can we presume that those people are – those were gun guys? No. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> Mexicans uh, you, can't own guns in Mexico. So – no, but they, but the presence of I'm guns saying, is very. I mean, it's very. No, much I didn't. A part I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it that way. I'm not saying that these are Mexican nationals that you were speaking to. I'm saying that these. No, they were, were Me- Mexican nationals. Okay, they were the, Mexican. They were not Mexican Americans who also happen to be gun. No, this store. You walk in and you're in Mexico. Okay, so it's uh, 
you know, I, you got to speak Spanish in this story. But don't mean? you think, I mean, having lived in Mexico, knowing, like, you, you, there are guns everywhere in Mexico. Yeah, I lived You're, in Mexico for two years. There are guns everywhere, but they're not legal. Sure, but, I mean, on even on the – so it, I think if you see a gun more regularly in real life, you're likely to notice it maybe. Like, that's what – You ha- see guns all the time. You see a gun on every cop. Mm, you see yeah. guns all the time. Cops walking around. By the way, this, is, this, is, this might just be me, but it's the same thing I had – Every time I go to the Denver Aquarium and there's a giant piranha tank and it is open on top. And there's part of me that kind of wants to stick my hand in the piranha tank. <laughs> there's a part of us that wants you to yeah, stick your hand yeah, in the part piranha of, tank. You know, and then I see someone, you know, a security guard, a cop with a gun. And part of there's a little bit of me like, what would happen if I touched that gun? I don't know. What's, I think it, it uh, could just be me. Really? Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. There's a security guard with a gun. Okay. And this segues to the concealed carry and it segues to Aurora. When Aurora happened, I think every gun guy, especially the ones who carry, I know I felt this way, was saying to himself, I wish I'd been there with my gun. Hmm. And it was very fashionable on the left, like in the New York Times, to sneer at the idea that an armed citizen might have made a difference at Aurora. And that, to me, is just wacky. It's crazy. There... Because everybody says, oh, then you would have had two people shooting there. You would have had a gunfight. It would have been worse. Well, I would argue several things. One, what could possibly be worse than one lunatic with a gun bent yeah. on murder and a room full of unarmed people? The other thing is there's an armed guard at the Denver Zoo so, or at the aquarium. So, so we are obviously hoping that if somebody does something bad with a gun, there will be a gunfight. Yeah. So, but, but you so, bring up an interesting issue in your book about that. Mm-hmm. You know, so as you said, I mean, when when you heard about that, there was part of you said, "Man, I wish I was there." Yeah, but then you also an armed citizen would have made a difference if there. If you were Sandy there, York. then the question then because let's say you are in this horrible situation, mm-hmm. and you, you know, and you have your concealed firearm, what responsibility do you have? You have the same responsibility. This is one of the things I like about guns, and this is one of the things gun guys like about guns. The responsibilities never change. There are five rules that you follow, and they never change, no matter where you are, no matter what the situation. Right? You want to hear them? Yeah. 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 Treat all guns as though they're loaded. Or also said, all guns are always loaded. Right? Yes, check. Never, Never let the muzzle cross something you're not willing to destroy and pay for. Keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target and you're ready to shoot. Make sure of your target and what's behind it and maintain control of your firearm. Hmm. Right? So you asked me what were your responsibilities. I think I have a hunter safety card somewhere that said that from Mm -hmm. when I was 13. So nothing nothing would have been different (laughs) in that movie theater in Aurora than would be different at the shooting range, would have been different anywhere else. I'll tell you an interesting story. I got training on this electronic system called the PRISM, which um, you're shooting a real gun at a, at a screen made of rubber. And project it, and so your bullets are going through the screen, and the heat of the bullet cauterizes the holes, so you don't see the holes. What's projected on the screen is a movie with actors, and a computer is operating it. And, the, and a sensor is seeing where your bullets hit. And they have shot every one of these, they've, they've filmed every one of these scenarios a gazillion times to, for every eventuality because depending on where your bullet hits, the people on the screen react. So shoot your own adventure game. Uh. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's very high-end training for yeah. police, and most police don't get it. It's kind of a shoot-don't-shoot shoot thing. And there were several scenarios kind of in school buildings, university buildings or something. And it's this, it's this shoot don't shoot thing and and if you have to shoot how well you shoot and it's and so if you miss the guy he keeps coming at you and if you hit him he falls down basically and if you shoot an innocent they fall down and there was one scenario in which i was in a shopping mall and there was a a gunman killing people and he stepped out in front of me and i raised my gun and didn't shoot because right behind him was a woman a young woman and i rule four be sure of your target and what's behind it and he shot her and killed her because I didn't shoot it. So nothing says that if you have your gun in a mass shooting situation, you are going to prevail. Nothing says you're going to save everybody. But here's the truth about, let's take the Aurora shooting, because people in Colorado are used to it. If there had been somebody in that theater with a gun, and we all wish there had been an off-duty cop there. We all wish there had been, right? So why don't we wish there was an armed citizen there? If James Holmes had seen a muzzle flash come back at him, 
Even if you didn't hit him, it would have upset his rhythm. Without that, they can just stand there and shoot and shoot and shoot as calmly as they want. Most of the time, like Adam Lanza, um, like the guy at uh, Sung Hui Cho at, at Virginia Tech, most of the time these guys kill themselves. Columbine, when the cops show up, they don't want to be in a gunfight. They just want to kill people. And as soon as there's some pushback, they kill themselves. I wish I had been at Aurora. I wish I had been at Sandy Hook. I wish somebody with a gun had been at Sandy Hook. So when people hear about the NRA is a hideous organization, and they were very tone deaf to suggest arming teachers like right after Sandy Hook. It was just the wrong time to talk about that. But it's not completely crazy if a teacher has a concealed carry permit to let that teacher carry it. A holstered gun on somebody's hip is not going to hurt anybody. Concealed carry permit holders commit murder at one quarter the rate of the general population. They're the best people we have. They've been checked out. I think they need to be much better trained. That's my big bugaboo. I think if you want to carry a gun, you should have to go through training at least as good as police training. Well, and you should have to requalify every six months. I think it's a big damn deal to carry a gun. So that, the way we do it in Colorado is whack. Isn't that what the NRA used to be, though? Yes. The NRA used yes. to be an organization and now they that oppose was... mandatory training. I mean, it's right. crazy. So we're, why we're don't totally we have, when we guns. have this many guns in the country, I mean, it's it, you're very convincing. I'm, I'm, I'm changing a lot of my... My thinking. I'm there not gonna go. going to say my opinions. Pickle Wentz. Pickle back. She's back. I'm going to have to revive Pickle the Twitter Wentz. account. Um, That's Vanessa's nickname. <laughs> it's very nice of us how we call her that. Joel made it up. Um, so I'm not sure. Why isn't there an organization, that an alternative NRA that has a po- I mean, You know, why? the NRA got taken over by the loonies in 1977. That's when it happened. It happened in one weekend in Cincinnati in 1977 at the annual meeting. These, the, the, the hardliners came in, elected a whole new board, hired Wayne LaPierre, and we've been saddled with this nightmare ever since. I think it's time for gun guys to rally up and take it back, frankly. I was thinking that right after Aurora happened. I didn't right. understand why, do, why doesn't everybody go out and join the NRA and get rid of the leadership? Yeah. Maybe, Isn't maybe, maybe membership in part, because as Dan pointed out, I mean, that thing is like a lot of these gun guys feel like they, they have no one else to support them. I mean, if you don't have anyone else, you're just going to go with... The first guy says, hey, I got your back. Even if what I'm saying is kind of crazy, I got your back. And right. if they have no one else, big like, fine. I'm going to, you know, right. I'm going to buddy up with this, yep. with this group. Right. Right. I think that's uh, I want to talk about stats. I, wanna, I think we have to take a quick break. I want to keep talking about guns. But I want to I give a quick shout out to our, our weekly sponsor. Uh, this week's episode, as always, is brought to you by Illegal Pete's. For the second year in a row, Illegal Pete's is running a smother autism campaign as part of autism awareness month uh next month among other things the restaurant will be donating a dollar to the joshua school program in denver in boulder every time a customer smothers their burrito so so everyone get on in there and get the green chili flowing uh before we get back to uh dan and gun guys let's take a quick musical break this is go get lost by input Colorado, forever Midwest, survival instincts to navigate through this mess. We'll grind till the wheels fall off and put a glass to the sky while we sing those songs. In a matter of time, considered after the crime to be the symbol of a middle finger under disguise. If you tell me that my city's an imposter, foster your people cause my city is a monster. Definitive in all walks of life, prohibited from indiscretions lost in the night. It started when the liquor got mixed and the music was intuitive and sounded like this. Predisposed to an intimate thought, disintegrated in the childhood you figured you lost. Within my writing, not a syllable's off. I'm just a master of the puppets when I pick up the cross. Cylindrical and how I put my life to words. Full circle anecdotes to elevate the curve. Empowered to eradicate the curse. Uptown Saturday night, that was my church. This is for that street talk. This is for the board flies. This is for the free fall. This is for the hard times. Cinematic with a humble approach. In a matter of minutes, we're gonna make it all go. Go, go, go get lost. 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 That was Go Get Lost by Input. He's one of the many Denver acts appearing at Greater Than Collective's third annual Starving Artist Showcase going on right now at South by Southwest in Austin. 
Um, I'm going to throw it over to my co-hosts to see what sort of uh, fickle winch type questions uh, Dan <laughs> has been inspiring. Uh, Dan, Ron, you have something. Yeah, Dan, I wanted to ask you. There's um, recently on uh, NPR's Planet Money, they, there was a proposal by some folks that one of the things that is being considered as legislation is requiring gun owners to have liability insurance, uh, similar to the way they would have car insurance. And I was wondering what, what you thought of that as a concept. Uh, I, I know, obviously, you're a gun guy, so you're going to say, no, I don't want to pay insurance. Well, uh, but, uh, I don't what, understand. Do, do you know what it would pay for if I use the gun and if I kill somebody? If, if someone is accidentally killed or injured, uh, if there's some sort of damage to person or property. With my uh, gun. With your gun. Well, there's already. I mean, if I accidentally shoot somebody, mm-hmm. I'm going to be liable. Now, this, because it's so vague, right, the gun guys see it, and I don't think they're entirely wrong, as this is just another way to fuck with the gun guys. This is just another way to throw up barriers to gun ownership, make it more expensive, make it more difficult. Look, one thing is some of the people who most need guns are poor people. So, you know, I was trying to explain this to these Dems I was talking to in D.C., it is not appropriate for Charles Schumer, who lives in a very nice part of town, <laughs> to tell a woman who walks through the South Bronx after getting off her shift at 11 o'clock and has to walk 16 blocks to the subway what her self-defense needs are. And to make decisions – you know, gun guys see self-defense as, as really a personal moral decision. And for Charles Schumer to make – self-defense decisions for them is as inoffensive as Mitch McConnell making reproductive choices for women. It's just, it ain't right. Um, and this insurance thing, nobody's really explained exactly how it would work. And No, this, are, was, this was just an idea going off of, of the, the very clear statistical fact that people who are around guns get killed by guns. The, one of the hard parts for uh, folks who are against guns and they are not people that are not gun people mm-hmm. is that they they are not killed by guns statistically gun deaths do not happen to people who do not own right. guns or live in a in a place where their guns are prevalent so how about this so, don't like guns don't have one uh, and yeah, let the people who want guns have them and assume the risk and leave them the hell alone but uh, you know it, so but would you say the same for health care uh, because because there is a there is a social cost whenever someone dies due to gun violence or due to poor oh, health that, oh, in or, that case, in that ca- or bad driving drunk in that, driving in that case you know if you want to go skiing and you're in my health pool my health insurance pool ooh you're gonna have to carry an extra policy I don't want to pay for you to go ski you can break your leg I don't ski <laughs> you know you want to go down that rabbit hole before how do you know <laughs> you know you want to go down that rabbit hole. That's you know, that's just that's yeah. just looking for ways to mess with the gun guys. And we gotta stop doing that. Here's an here's a different way of thinking about this. And right now, the way we treat gun owners, the way the way government at all levels treats gun owners is as a problem to be managed, to be pruned back in as many ways as possible. And we're always looking for different ways to manage this essential problem that is the gun owner. Why don't we flip the script on that and say, let's raise everybody's game. Let's start treating gun owners as assets, as people who are particularly willing to take on this responsibility and this um, risk of owning guns and maybe to carry a gun and keep us all a little bit safer because they do. They don't make us more dangerous. Concealed carry people do make us safer, and I know that's a hard thing for people to accept. And maybe what we should do is say is do two things. One, remove a lot of these niggling, stupid, meaningless regulations on gun people that do nothing but infuriate them and and, and cause division. Drive the them same, towards the black market. And at the same time, raise the game and say, look, you want to carry a gun? Instead of having all these rules about you can't carry it in a school, you can't carry it in a bar that serves alcohol, you can't carry it in a post office, you can carry it anywhere. Maybe not on an airplane, but you can carry it anywhere. But you have to get much better training. And maybe you can even deduct the cost of training from your taxes or something. In order to say, we value you, let's raise your game. The other th- my other big cause is gun guys need to lock up their guns. 
Yeah, I want to talk about this because I think what you're saying also means so that. Let's, so let's more, raise the, more, let's, more, let's, how let's do we, raise the game. You're saying that, that, that gun owners also have to take more responsibility. Absolutely. And I actually think most of what happens that's bad with guns could be fixed without government involved at all. But how, Okay. But what you're saying then is actually kind of changing the culture for gun owners to, to actually no. reward more responsible gun ownership. Well, but gun owners at least verbalize they're all about responsibility. So what I'm saying is call them to it. How do you do that? You do that – I think you could do that by changing the way we talk about them. And as I say, maybe get rid of a lot of these meaningless regulations and say we value you, but here's what you've got to do for us. We want to make you a better gun owner. So we want you to be really well-trained if you want to carry a gun in our presence – and you've got to lock up your guns. How do you, how do you make – how the do you same encourage way, slash force look, them to lock up look, their guns? If you've got to force them, you've got to force them. I hope we don't have to. Look, it is now unforgivable to say nigger. It is unforgivable to smoke in somebody else's house. And we did that without the law. We just made it socially unacceptable to do those things. And if gun guys were to make it socially unacceptable to keep guns lying around where thieves and depressed teenagers and children could get them, this problem could go away. Everything that bad that happens with a gun happens with a gun that was originally bought legally by a law-abiding citizen, and then they lost control of it. So gun guys have to lock them up. So if, I, if you and I are going shooting, you and I are shooting buddies, and I know you just keep your guns in the closet, or you keep a loaded gun in the nightstand next to your bed. Say, you know, Joe, I'm not shooting with you until you clean up your act. I don't like it. You got you to gotta clean this up. Now, gun guys will say, oh, a gun that's locked up is not available quickly in an emergency. It's not true. There's a technological fix. I keep my handgun in a safe the size of a toaster with a three-button electronic code with a, with a button code, and I push, punch three buttons and it pops open. So if I need it quickly, I can get it. But a thief can't get it, a kid can't get it, a depressed teenager can't get it. Gun gu we could do this ourselves. I wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal Weekend Edition a couple of weeks ago making this exact argument. We could solve gun violence in America without government. The gun guys themselves could do it, and they, and they need to do it. Now, what's, this is no excuse, but they're, they're kind of treated like children in this society. They really are. You know, society is always saying, no, you can't have that gun, or I don't trust you with that size magazine. You treat people like children, they act like children. You treat them like adults, they act like adults. Why don't we start treating gun owners like adults and say, we will get off your back with all this meaningless nonsense that, you know, that, that we have imposed upon you. Not all of it. I mean, background checks they're fine with, but magazine size bans, I mean, that's just crazy. We'll get off your back with all that. But now you step up. We'll treat you like an adult. You act more like an adult. And if after some time it's obvious that gun guys are not responding, then we can talk about how you force them to do it. But in the meantime, let's encourage them to do it. Maybe a tax break for a gun safe. I don't know. Fifty dollars off your taxes if you buy a gun safe. So, so yeah. I have an I have a quick question about uh, maybe the, like uh, one more question each from you guys. Okay. Wrap things up. So, uh, the in terms of the culture, I I come from uh, I I grew up with guns. Uh, both in my house, my all of my immediate family, it was uh, ranch Where? ranching family in Pueblo, right outside in the county. So our use, at least, uh, you know the the the. The use of the gun mostly was for a different kind of protection to protect the animals. You know, that, that was really clear. But the guns were used for a lot of things, um, hunting included. One of the things that's happened, though, I've noticed with my cousins who still um, are very, uh, they're, you know, active in acquiring their own guns and magazines and all these things, is this debate is really pissing them off. Yeah. Uh, to the point that it kind of scares me a little bit. I don't like the language that they're using. I don't like how angry they're getting. And I'm, I'm curious about uh, the people that you came across. Do you feel like we are driving extremism in any – I mean, I know they're – are you worried about that at all? I do worry about that. And I think the gun guys themselves have a lot to answer for here. But – Somebody asked me the other day, you know, well, what do you stand for? What do you, you know, everybody wants to know. What do you, what do you want? You know, what do you want? Yeah. And I, I think I'm against disrespect. And there's just a tremendous amount of disrespect flying around. 
The gun guys show disrespect to the people who are really frightened and upset and sad about what happens with guns. They may be ignorant about guns, but they are our fellow Americans, and they're emotional about this, and they need to be respected. Not obeyed, necessarily, but respected. And the gun guys need to be respected. And that's what I'm trying to do with the book. And I think you get extremism when people feel dissed. We've we've talked an awful lot about gun guys, and we're we're defining a certain section of the culture that is primarily lawful gun owners. But what about uh, criminals that are entirely out of this loop of universal background checks, of caring what is happening in gun legislation because they're not getting their guns that way in the first place? Right. Um, how do how do we go about addressing the issue of those people owning guns? And I, I, I don't know that you, I don't know that you do. I think you go you, you talk about why are these people criminals? I mean, to look at the lives that young black men live in Detroit and Los Angeles and New Orleans and the Bronx and say, "Oh, we'll fix their lives by adjusting the firearms that they have." I mean, it's just the worst kind of avoidance. My first book was about drug prohibition the politics of drug prohibition. And I see the same kind of thing here. It's the worst kind of avoidance to say we're going to fix social pathologies by adjusting the things that people are allowed to buy or not buy. You know, we have a problem in this country with exclusion and racism and, and all kinds of pathologies that lead to crime. The guns are there. The guns are out there. There's 300 million guns. They're never going to wear out. There's something else that we, I think, that we on the left sometimes forget. And it took a guy at the Goldwater Institute to really drive this home to me. Um, we live in a big, polyglot, incredibly complicated country. We speak 150 languages in this country. We have every religion, every nationality is here. We're not all Norwegians. We're not all British. We're not all Australians. So you can't really compare us to other countries. We are incredibly complicated. and We have an incredible amount of personal freedom in this country that we like. And a certain amount of bad shit is going to happen. I mean, you just can't avoid it. And so when people say, how can we avoid the next Sandy Hook? The honest answer is, you can't. You could round up all the guns in the United States. And then you'll get Timothy McVeigh, who's our biggest mass murderer ever and didn't use a gun. A certain amount of bad stuff is going to happen. And if you try to engineer away all of it, you're going to do violence to the country that we love. Way to take us out on a low point, Dan. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> no, I, yeah. It, it is very fascinating. I know. This is the Rocky Mountain front. We're all supposed to be happy. And- uh, no, 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 no. This is great. This is, this is great. Thank yeah. you, Dan. Um, so, yes, everyone go out and buy Dan's book, uh, Gun Guys. It came out uh, May 5th, March 5th. March 5th. It's out now at all fine re- uh, booksellers. You can, you can buy it online, but better yet, buy it at your local bookstore. You, you're reading tonight a tattered cover now uh, by this today is the 13th yes. of march now by the time tonight. this comes out that'll be over so do you, do you have other readings or events I coming do, up locally in boulder which is a city to the north and west of here we've heard of it i have <laughs> a uh, i'm going to be speaking next monday the 18th okay where uh, when and where at uh, the boulder bookstore do you know what time 6:30 okay that should be very good uh, I want to go around really quickly and uh, do love and hates, where we love or hate on something. Uh, Dan, do you have any love or hates for us? Yeah, I, I hate to disrespect in in public policy discourse. Okay, lovely, Ron. I'm, I have a preemptive love. It's 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 an unknown love. Uh, there's a there's a place that just opened up in my neighborhood, uh, right on the corner of Monaco Parkway and Leedsdale. Uh, it is the Brooklyn Pizza Company. Uh, it is a little pizza joint that has, in addition to like the sort of pizza you would expect at a at a New York style uh, pizza place, they also have a full vegan uh, selection of pizzas. And the reason why I'm saying it's preemptive love is because I haven't actually been there yet. I haven't tried it because the day that I tried to go. It was Purim, and they were closed because the place is run by, apparently, looking through the door and the guys I saw, run by a bunch of Orthodox wow. Jews. 
So once again, Ron, you are making statements about something that you don't know about. This is <laughs> welcome this is, to the Denver Diatribe. This yeah. is this is my theoretical yeah, love. Theoretical love, uh, Vanessa. Do you have a theoretical love or a real love? Uh, no, I have a real love actually. Oh, I have a love Imagine and a hate. Uh, I have. So I'm going to give some love to the uh, legislate to to our our legislators for passing the civil unions bill. Um, I'm also going to give some love to Angela Hidon, who we were speaking about earlier, for carrying asset. Uh, that is the local Dream Act. Uh, the local version uh, of Dream Act, which is uh, gives certain qualifying here, here. students uh, uh, in-state tuition. Yeah, great. And uh, I w- also want to clarify really quick earlier my hate. I'll, I'll just go ahead and hate on the chieftain. Um, Angela hasn't <laughs> been – she wasn't threatened, but uh, I don't like the way that the chieftain is misrepresenting certain things about uh, the gun legislation. For example, the fact that – you know, these groups are targeting Angela Hidon as as the the lone person who's going to make the decision for all of these bills. And that's just silly. Mm-hmm. And the chieftain runs it as if it's fact. Yeah. So that's okay. what I don't like Thank about you. it. Thank you. I have a love as well this week. I'm loving on the two-part series on This American Life that came out the past few weeks on uh, Harper High School yes. in Chicago. Uh, a brilliant and heartbreaking uh, work of journalism. Uh, looking at this high school where last year, uh, I think 29 current or recent students were shot. And it's an amazing series. And in many ways, it kind of takes it, uh, it, it takes the discussion we've been having to the next step, which is looking at what happens when, when a lot of these guns, for one reason, they actually get in the hands of these kids. And it's an amazing series. You can, you, you can, you can download it online at NPR. You it's just great. go to iTunes and it's at the top of the yeah, list in the yeah, podcast section. As it should be, so I'm going to love on that. That's all the uh, time we have for Love and Hate this week. If you'd like to share a little of your own love and hate, please leave us a brief message at 720-282-YELL. That's 720-282-9355. Our theme music is by TJ Miller from his extended play EP. Our web hosting is provided by bluechannel.com. For more information about the Denver Diatribe or any of our guests, check out our website, denverdiatribe.com. Search for Denver Diatribe on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Joe Warner. On behalf of my co-host and our guest, Dan Baum, thanks for listening. Haven't you heard the birds at the words Denver? High average income, roll like big spenders. Affordable housing, good money lenders. Low obesity, no need.